Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you this morning. Uh, man, I want to thank you all for giving me a little respite last week. It was so nice to just sit and worship with you guys, and Joey did a great job preaching, so Joey, thank you for that. And every time he preaches, I'm nervous. <clears throat> So I'm like, he can do music and preach. I'm in trouble. So anyway, do me a favor. If you have your Bible, okay, we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're going to keep going. We've been, if you're a guest this morning, uh, thank you for coming. We've been, uh, over the last 10 or 12 weeks, we've been kind of plowing through the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, man, we would love for that to be our gift to you. So just take that one with you. And uh, Romans is a little bit off center, okay, to the right-hand side, and I'm sure you'll find it. And we're going to pick up in Romans 11. Inside your bulletin's a handout. I really would encourage you to follow along with me. We always kind of remember uh, more of the stuff that we write down. That's really one of the purposes as a teaching tool. And uh, just to give you a little review, okay, uh, you know, we've, uh, Romans 9 through 11, I've kind of entitled this section, The Wisdom of God. And I, I feel like we've kind of uh, been convention, we've been venturing into the mind of God. Now, if, for those of you who are really heady and man, you like the think deeply and and like you've you've probably loved the last three three weeks right you're like man I love thinking about these kind of things and, and that's not where I come down okay I'm a dummy so you know and I, I like to know like where's the rubber meet the road with this and if that's where you are like when's this stuff get practical you know well that's next week actually Romans chapter 12 through 16 uh, the Apostle Paul takes all this doctrinal stuff we've been talking about and he makes it really really practical like kind of the so what of his letter that he wrote to this church at Rome so next week it gets a little more practical but the this morning, we're going to kind of park and, and really kind of sum up the last few chapters of what is God doing? Why is he teaching all this? And you remember in nine, you know, I really tried to give it some justice, be honest to the text. And we, we looked at that God is completely sovereign over all mankind, including those that, that find him in salvation. And we talked about the doctrine of election, and that was heavy, and it was hard to get our hearts and our minds around it. And last week, and then Joey unpacked it again last week as well, the idea of the responsibility of the followers of Christ to take, just because God is sovereign, that mankind still has responsibility both to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and for those of us who are followers of Christ to take the gospel to all the ends of the earth. And then this week, we're, we're going to kind of unpack here in, in 11 where God, and remember, let's give it a little context that there's this, this new movement, this new covenant movement, and the church is being birthed. And here in Rome is a church that is filled with Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Now, I know for us sitting here some 2,000 years removed from this, like it's like, well, what's the big deal? It was a huge deal to this church, and they were, they were trying to figure it out a little bit. And so uh, the, the Jewish people were just small in number, and the gospel of Christ was exploding among the Gentiles. And Paul here is trying to answer why that's happening and what God is doing, okay? And so that's kind of where we're going to park here this morning. I, and, and I've labeled this, you know, this is a little bit of a, chapter 11 is a little bit of a warning label. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, it's a little bit of a warning label because sometimes we take the gospel truths for granted. We take the grace of God for granted. And, and it's a little bit of a warning to remember that, that the grace of God is not something to be taken lightly. I, uh, oh, I read this this week up in Michigan. There's a group uh, that uh, each year they sponsor, it's a, it's a law firm, and each year they sponsor a contest for the most absurd warning labels found on American products, all right? And this is their top nine list. 
on a, on a snowblower, the warning label was placed, do not use this snowblower on your roof. Imagine that. Number eight, all right, they wrote, they found this warning label. It says, do not allow your children to play in the dishwasher. All right, that's just a, who does that? I remember when, my, when I was in trouble, my dad said, son, go out and play in traffic. You know, hey, maybe someone should have given him a warning label. On a, on a clothing iron, this warning label was found. Warning, never iron clothes while they are being worn. All right. Some of y'all just need to use an iron. Okay, figure that out. I can see that from here. All right. And, uh, there was a Superman costume that had this warning label. Warning, cape does not enable user to fly. <laughs> really? Uh, on a bottle of hair coloring, this warning label was found. Warning, do not use as an ice cream topping. Can you imagine that? You're in the beauty section going, man, I could go for something on top of my ice cream. You know, um, what is that about, all right? Um, remember those cardboard sun shields that people put on their windshield of their car on a hot summer? You don't see them as much anymore, but they, they were real popular maybe 15, 10, 15 years ago. On one of those, it was this warning label was found. Warning, do not drive with sun shield in place. <laughs> all right. Some of y'all drive like it's in place every day, okay? But uh, warning. Don't do that. All right, on an ink toner cartridge, this warning label is found. Warning, do not eat toner. All right, you got to be really hungry. Um, this is one of my favorites, portable stroller. Was This warning label said, warning, remove infant before folding for a stroller for storage. All right. Do you imagine getting in the house? Where is little Johnny? I left him in the stroller, you know. And then the final one kind of a favorite for all you pet lovers, microwave warning label said, warning, do not use for drying pets. Okay, so there you go, some, some warning labels. This morning we're going to unpack a little bit of a warning label, okay? And uh, before we get there, though, we're going to start in verse 2 of Romans chapter 11, all right? Romans 11 verse 2, and again, remember the context. You got this church of Jews and Gentiles and the Jewish part, portion of the church. And, and by the way, uh, if you're here this morning, probably most of you, uh, so you understand the biblical context and use of these words, is that uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God chose the Jewish nation to reveal his grace and his goodness and his blessings. In fact, the covenant that God made with Abraham was to be, that Israel was to be a blessing to bless all nations, okay? But what happened was they began to hoard the blessings of God to themselves. And so God had them had to change directions a little bit under the new covenant. And so the, in this church, you got just a small number of Jewish followers of Jesus, and the church is exploding among Gentiles. And so the Jews, the Jewish believers, have questions about this. And so in Romans chapter 11, Paul begins, verse 2, he begins to answer his question. He says, uh, No, God did not reject his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel, and he said, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now, let me stop here for this. This is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, actually. It's taken from, Paul here is referring to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, the people of Israel, and this is, this is far removed from Abraham. It's far removed from, from Moses, who led the people in the promised land. Now there's some kings that have ruled over Israel, and many of them were not followers of Yahweh, and they had brought 
false worship into the community. And now there's a king and a queen by the name of Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel were not followers of Jesus. Now, by the way, one of the ways you can know whether a character in the Bible is good or bad is whether or not in American culture we name our kids after these Bible names, right? So, so for instance, you know, we name our kids Paul, right, and Peter. So, you know, a good character. But you never go, hey, I want to introduce you to my children. This is my little son Ahab, and this is my daughter Jezebel, okay? We don't do that. Why? Because they're bad, okay? Um, nobody here names their children Goliath, okay? Mom, the only person I know is our worship leader, Joey, named his dog Goliath, to which I always respond, why in the world did you name your dog after a God-cursing Philistine, okay? But... But Ahab and Jezebel had introduced false worship. And so the people of Israel were confused about who to worship. And so God raised up this prophet Elijah. And, and for people like me who are super competitive, he sets up in 1 Kings chapter 18 this really cool contest between the prophets of Baal and himself. And he sets up this contest. He says, I'll tell you what, we're going to build an altar to God. I'm going to build an altar to the true and living God, Yahweh. And you, and he gets about 300 prophets of Baal. He says, you guys build a pro- an altar to, to Baal and we'll put a sacrifice on it, but we won't light a fire under it. And what we'll do is we'll pray to our God and whichever God answers by fire, we'll know that's the true and living God. Now the people of Israel hear this proposal and they think, wow, what a great idea. What a cool contest that will be. Okay. Now the people of Israel of all people should have known who the true and living God was. They shouldn't need a contest for this to happen, but they were confused. They had bought into false worship. So the prophets of Baal, set up their altar, and Elijah lets them go all day, man. And it's a really cool story. I encourage you to read it later today. Okay, it's a really cool story. And here's what's cool about it. My favorite part is when Elijah, about midday, he starts to talk some trash with the prophets of Baal because nothing's happening, right? And so he starts saying things like, hey, maybe he's deaf. And so, and as soon as he yells that out, they start yelling louder, right? And then finally he says, hey, maybe he's in the restroom. That's my favorite, right? You know, maybe he's relieving himself. Don't believe me, read it for yourself. Okay, that's what it says. He's he's like talking trash. And, you know, and that boy, they start cutting themselves, doing all this crazy stuff and still no fire from heaven. And finally, at the end of the day, Elijah says, okay, now it's my turn. Okay, and he fills his his altar. He, He puts so much water on it. There's no way that some fire could accidentally start. He prays to the true and living God and fire rains from heaven and the people Israel realize that Yahweh is a true and living God. They get rid of the prophets of Baal and Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen, get wind of this. And they, and Jezebel says, when I get Elijah, I'm going to kill him. Now that's first Kings chapter 19. Now in first Kings 19, uh, Elijah now hears that the king and queen want to kill him and he flees into the mountains and he's very discouraged. Now I love first Kings chapter 19. And if you've ever done any ministry at all, whether it's, you know, you're serving in one of the ministries here at Coast, you've ever really given of yourself, you know, you've led a ministry, there will come a time where you will have ministry fatigue. In fact, it's one of the reasons every so often I take a little break and I just worship with you guys so that I get to be refreshed as well because ministry fatigue sets in and that's where we find Elijah. And I love that First Kings 19. I can preach a whole other sermon on how we get refreshed to serve God. And the first thing God does in First Kings 19 is he gives Elijah a good night's sleep and a good meal. First thing he does. Sometimes we need that, right? And so he rests him up, and in 1 Kings 19, Elijah's discouraged, and Elijah says, I'm by myself in this. No one's serving with me. I feel all alone in my pursuits of the things of God. That's where these little, this little remnant of Jewish believers are in the church of Rome. Hey, God, what's, what's going on? We're all by ourselves. Have you ever felt like that? 
in your pursuits of the things of God, in your leadership. And God, no one's going with me. My story's unique. No one's going through what I've gone through. And by, by, by the way, that's a little bit of a lie. No, there's other people that have gone through what you've gone through. There's other people who have journeyed the journey of faith. And so Paul reminds this group in, in verse 4. Through the story of Elijah, he says, do you remember God's reply to Elijah? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. Church, I want to remind you in your pursuits of the things of the Lord, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's always people that God has set aside, and this goes back to, to Romans 9, I believe, that God is in his sovereignty always has a, even if it's just a remnant of people that are pursuing the things of God. I love this passage. This passage is very near and dear to my heart, and I'm going to tell you why. When I was in college, I had, I had made a commitment to, to pursue sexual purity, I wanted to remain pure until I got married as a gift to my wife and to honor God and his righteousness and his holiness. And I remember in college, and for those of you in college, you know what I'm talking about. I remember it felt like everybody I knew was sleeping around with their girlfriends and boyfriends. Everybody. And I remember thinking, God, am I alone in this pursuit? Is there nobody that's going to pursue you in holiness and righteousness? And God gave me this verse. That's why I love this verse. No, you're not alone. I've always kept some people that are pursuing the things of the Lord. And by the way, we live in a culture where the majority determines a lot, correct? Every four years, the majority determines who's going to be the president of the most powerful, man, most powerful nation on earth. We get, the majority determines who's our local governors and who, who runs things locally and statewide and nationally. I got news for you. We live in a culture where the majority is beginning to determine morality. We live in a culture where majority, and the democratic system has a lot of things going for it, positive, but you know, the majority doesn't get to determine morality. Now, the majority in our culture may have say, but you know, it is quite common throughout history for the majority to be wrong when it comes to morals. Did you know that? And so my encouragement to us as followers of Jesus in this room is it's quite possible that as we continue to pursue Christ, that it is going to be, you're going to be a less and less a part of the majority. It's quite possible. And the majority opinion, by the way, the majority doesn't get to determine morality and righteousness and holiness. God does that. Our God is the God. His character reveals what is moral and what is righteous and what is holy. It's who God is, not the God that we want. And so I want to encourage you, even when times get tough and we get squeezed as followers of Christ and maybe the majority is going a different direction, God always has a remnant of people that are following him, always. And so you're not alone in your journey. Second thing I want you to see out of this passage out of Romans chapter 11 is the danger of God's blessing. Now that seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? The danger of God's blessing. And because he's talking to this people, the, he, again, he's addressing the Jewish believers here in this church, and, 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 they, and they are wondering, you know, what, what happened? I mean, I thought we were the people of blessing. We were the people that you were going to bless us, and then all the nations would be blessed. And Paul reminds these people, and he reminds the Gentile believers, you need, if God is now blessing you, and the gospel is now spreading through the Gentiles, you need to hold that with a humility and a tenderness, and we're going to come back to that, because there is a danger, a blind of the blessing of God. Romans chapter 11, verse 9. 
I think I have Romans. Oh, thank you, Steve. You did so good. That's one great thing about having a Saturday night service is I get to correct all my mistakes. Okay, so I had the wrong reference up there last night. Romans 11, verse 9 says, Paul says, likewise, David, this is a quote of Psalm Psalm 69 written by King David, says, likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Paul here is saying we have to be careful that the blessings of God don't become a stumbling block in our pursuits of Christ. We can, by the way, you, you live in the most blessed country that has ever been on planet Earth. The average middle-class American has more amenities than any king that ever walked on planet Earth. And we have to be careful that the blessings that God has poured out on us as a nation does not become a stumbling block that we remember where those blessings come from. And I fear that that's where we are as a culture. We've forgotten the blessings that have come from God. We've forgotten to worship God. We've forgotten to give thanks to God. I'm not maybe necessarily talking about you individually, but us as a culture and, and us individually. We need to be careful that we are mindful where our blessings come from and give thanks to God. Now, Paul here, speaking of blessings, okay, asks uh, uh, an important question about the Jewish people. And what I can't figure out in these next two verses necessarily is, is Paul here asking a hypothetical question or is he putting in front of us that this is what God is doing? I'll let you all, because those of you who are smarter than me, figure this out, okay? But I want to show you the verse, Romans 11, verse 11 and 12. Did God's people, he's talking about the Jewish people, did they stumble and fall beyond recovery? Paul says, of course not. They were, they were disobedient. <clears throat> so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation. Okay, here's what I can't figure out if it's hypothetical or what God is doing. Think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. What's he talking about? Paul's saying, listen, the Gentiles are now receiving the gospel of Christ because basically in large number, in majority, the Jewish nation has rejected it. And so now the gospel's going out through the Gentiles. And so it has been the rejection by Israel, by the Jewish nation, has been a blessing to the rest of the world. And Paul, I think, is asking the hypothetical question, how much better would it have been had the Jewish people received their Messiah the first time he came? Okay, the first advent, Christmas. All right. How much better? It's kind of a hypothetical question. Now, by the way, let me just say one thing here. Okay, a lot of times you turn on the TV nowadays and you hear um, preachers talking about, uh, they use the term end times, okay, end time events. The Apostle Paul, when Jesus ascended into heaven, from that time until he returns, thought he was in the last days, okay? It's been the last days since Jesus left until Jesus returns. And I hear a lot of preachers nowadays reminding us that we need to pray for Israel. Do you ever, am I the only one who ever hears preachers say that hey, we need to be praying for Israel? You see those bumper stickers? Anybody ever see those bumper stickers? It's like four of us. Okay, good. The four of us, I'm talking to the four of us now. Okay, so 
And whenever I hear a preacher talk about this, it's usually followed up by an unbiblical teaching that, man, we need to be praying that Israel reestablishes the temple and temple sacrifices. Does anybody ever hear that taught? Okay, that's an untruth. Why in the world would we pray that Israel go back to a system that Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10 tells us is shadows of the great work of God, the ultimate sacrifice of God's son, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty that our sins deserve and, and, and lived the perfect life so that by grace through faith, the works of Christ, his righteousness is credited to our account by grace alone through faith alone. And now we have right standing before God because of of God's son, Jesus Christ. We don't need to return back to the old system. Here's my point. If you want to pray for Israel, pray that they accept the gospel of God and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. It's the same message for you as it is for that nation. And I think Paul's asking the question, man, how awesome would it have been if the Jewish people had received the message of Christ? Why don't you think about that for a minute? This is my spiritual pontification. I'll have a verse to point to and tell you this is what God is doing, okay? But this is my own pontification. How great would it be if in somewhere in the Middle East, like the nation of Israel, there was a gospel-centered nation that believed in Christ? How great would that be? How close would we be to bringing peace on earth if the gospel spread to every tribe, tongue, and nation? Be a lot closer than we are now, wouldn't we be? We sure spend a whole lot less on military defense. Now, some of you are like, that worries you. No, you'll find other jobs, okay? Uh, because there'd be, we'd be that much closer to peace on earth, all right? Romans 11, verse 15, Paul goes on to say, since their rejection meant that God offered salvation for the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more, what? Wonderful. Isn't that cool? You want to pray for Israel? Pray that the Jewish nation, the, the people that God chose from the beginning of time to reveal the good news of the Messiah through that people group. I think Paul's saying, man, when they accept Christ, man, there's going to be this great spiritual awakening. He says it will be life for those who were dead. Now, Paul kind of changes gears a little bit and, and, and gives a little bit of a warning label here. This is the warning label part. So Paul next reminds the church that while they've received this incredible grace of God that has been shown to them by God's sovereignty, okay, and by God's choice, that God's sovereign in his wisdom, he's using this church to display his glory. But he reminds this church, this is a little bit of a warning label, that your heart's response to God's grace needs to be, we have to, we have, to have a, 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 a a careful heart's response to the grace of God. And he points out three things. First, the grace of God. So if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Christ, that you're reminded that, hey, I'm a follower of Christ because of the grace of God alone. So that needs to be received with humility. Romans 11, verse 17. Now, Paul kind of uses an illustration here of a branch what that had, uh, or of, of a, a main branch that had some limbs coming off of it. Okay, and the the original limbs coming off of it was the pe the Jewish nation, but those that nation been has been has been broken off, and the Gentiles had been grafted in. Okay, that's the illustration he's using. So he says this, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, 
some of the people of Israel, they've been broken off and you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham as children. Sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch and you're not a root. Okay, and so Paul is saying to the Gentile believers that you have received the grace of God and this should be a very humbling thing. You need to guard your heart from pride and arrogance. Receiving of God's grace has no place in our hearts. There's no place in a follower of Christ for that of arrogance or pride. We need to be careful in our approach to everyone. We have to be really careful of the say, you know, in our hearts when we look at someone else and we say, well, at least I fill in the blank. At least I go to church. At least I serve somewhere. And and we have to be real careful that we don't lift up our good work as if God's somehow pleased with our doing. We also have to be real careful that we don't fill out the blank like this. Well, at least I don't. And you fill out the sin that you you think you avoid. At least I don't fill in the blank. Okay? Because Paul here is talking to people that were super religious. The Jewish people were super religious. It's not about doing, it's about done, and grace is a gift, and so we receive it with humility. Second thing Paul reminds us is that receiving of God's grace needs to be received with a reverent fear. A reverent fear. You know, one of the things that disturbs me about our culture is the approach we have with the holy God of the universe. Now, can we sing songs that I am a friend of God? Absolutely. Jesus reminds us that in him we are called his friend. But there's another side, there's a tension of this God that we worship. And the other tension is we enter his presence with a sense of reverent awe. He's not just one of the boys. We just don't fist bump God. Way to go, God. Yeah, God just one of my homies or whatever, right? You know, we approach God that way. I mean, we need to be really careful. Paul says, verse 19, well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you're, you're there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen, for God did not spare his original branches. He won't spare you. In other words, man, there needs to be a a regular reverence in awe when we approach the God of the universe. He's holy and he's righteous and he's set apart and he's not like us. He's awesome. He's awesome in the sense of justice and judgment and power and sovereignty. He's awesome in the sense of holy and righteous. He is truly an awesome God. In fact, when you read your scriptures, anytime anyone gets a small glimpse of even the robe of God, they fall down and say, don't kill me on the spot. There's an awesomeness to God. And so when we've received his grace and we have access to his presence because of Christ and because of the work of the Holy Spirit, man, we do so with a reverent fear. We worship and serve an awesome God. The final thing Paul points to here is is that the grace of God should be received with a moment-by-moment trust in God. The grace of God is received with a moment-by-moment trust in God. 
you know, if you're here this morning, maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, you know, maybe you used to go to church and you're just kind of reattending type thing, or maybe you're investigating the claims of Christ, or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've taken your salvation lightly. Let me encourage you, okay? We are not here to play games with the grace of God. This is not something that is, is to be taken lightly. Paul here reminds us that the, our spiritual journey is serious, it's spiritual, it's lifelong, and we are in the eternal business. This is not a short-sighted endeavor. And God takes his word seriously. Romans 11, verse 22, Paul says, Notice how God is both kind and what? Severe, right? We don't preach on that much. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He's severe towards those who disobey, but he's kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, guess what? You can be cut off too. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, guess what? They'll be grafted back in. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut off from a wild tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to his nature by grafting you in into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the Original branches back into the tree where they belong. There's a moment by moment trust in this church. Don't take your salvation lightly. Don't take your journey with Christ lightly. And I love there's two, two, actually two extreme, two tensions about the character of God I love here. One is God is severe, God is serious about those who do or don't follow him, but he's also an eager God. I love that in, in verse uh, 24, right? He's eager. If, if you want to have a relationship with God, he's eager to have a relationship with you. Maybe you're here today and the, the Holy Spirit has been working on you over the coming weeks as I've been teaching the gospel. And especially, you know, we did Romans 1, 2, and 3. We talked about the sinfulness of man. And then 4, 5, and 6, where we talked about the justification of God, this great doctrine of justification that the righteousness of God is received by grace alone through faith alone. And our right standing before God has everything to do with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ. And maybe as we've been talking about this, the Spirit's been working on your heart, and you have not yet given your bowed a knee to the Lordship of Christ. Let me encourage you, if the Spirit is working on your heart, man, that's an awesome thing. And God is eager to have a relationship with you. He's eager to make you a part of his family and graft you into what he's doing. If you would just bow a knee to him, he's eager to do that work at any moment. And what is God? And, and then finally, in point number four, we get to the big picture. Paul kind of sums up 9, 10, and 11 right here. In these couple verses, the back end of what he's doing is he's talking to these Gentile believers, talking to these Jewish believers, trying to figure out, man, what's the big picture of what God is doing? And here's, here's what he's doing. That's why I've entitled this whole section, The Wisdom of God. Ultimately, what God is doing is he's working out his plan for his glory. He's working out his plan for his glory. And what we see, Paul says, what we got here in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is the perfect unfolding of God's plan, spiritually speaking. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 and 26 says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you don't feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of the Gentiles come to Christ, and then all Israel, or so all Israel, will be saved. I love this passage. Here's what it tells me. God is working out his plan. 
He, he's got a master plan that includes the Gentiles, it includes the Jews, it includes all people groups of all nations. In fact, when we look at Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, and we get this small little glimpse into heaven, you know what we see there? We see worshipers from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God is a global God. God wants to see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation be a part of worshiping him. I love that. And that... Movement of God will not be thwarted. Now, there is, uh, for those of you who like to put your thinking cap on, okay, these verses here, um, they bring some very debated questions among scholars. In fact, these, these two verses have huge implications for your eschatological view. Now, if you're hearing like, what did, what? Okay, that's kind of the end time stuff. Like, where do you come down on how God's gonna unpack the end time stuff? That, that's the word that a lot of people like to use. I like to use the word eschatological just so you think I'm smart, um, but I'm really not, all right? So the question is, okay, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, as Paul says, that God has chosen to come to faith in Christ, when all of them come in, is he saying then at that point, all of spiritual Israel will be saved? Now you may say, well, why would Paul use it? Well, he did that in, in Romans 4. If you remember, verses 11 and 12, where he's talking about Abraham, he's talking about, you know, not all, God, when he chose Abraham, it was a spiritual thing. And there was uh, people that were Gentiles that were part of spiritual Israel because of their faith in, in God. Or when Paul says, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, all that God has chosen to come to faith, then there will be a spiritual movement and the Jewish people, where there will be this great movement among the Jewish people that there'll be a great spiritual burst, a large growth of literal Jewish people coming to Christ. And that is the question that has been debated by scholars for years. Some of you are probably looking at me and go, so which is it, pastor? I waffle on this one, okay? I go back and forth. And, but it, and so I'll let you go back and forth with me. Some of you are smarter than me and you know for sure, okay, what, what Paul's doing there. I'm not sure um, which it is. But here's what I do know. What I take from this passage, what I rest in in this passage is God is working out his plan perfectly. You want to know why I don't get overly sideways about global cool, you know, the whole world's going to, global warming, global cooling, you know, asteroids or aliens are going to destroy the earth. You know, you know why I don't get too wrapped up in that? Because I know that when that happens, if that happens, maybe it'll never happen. Whether it does, doesn't, or sometime in the future, I don't know. What I do know is God is fully sovereign over what he's doing. And if and when that ever happens, that there will be this spiritual movement of God that everybody that needs to hear the gospel will have heard the gospel. And none of those things will happen until that happens. Does that make sense? Because God is working out his plan. That's what Paul's been saying from chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, that he, God is sovereign over all things. He's working out a spiritual plan, and the spiritual plan includes the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles. And some of you in this room, God is working on right now to get a hold of your heart, to be a part of his plan. And my question is, are you going to continue to kick the can down the road? Because you better be careful. That was the warning label. The greatest fear on earth that I have is that God may someday go, you know what, I've been knocking, I've been knocking, I've been knocking, and you've rejected, and you've rejected. I'm done with you. I'm moving on. Man, that's a scary thought. 
And if God's working on your heart, that's a great thing. That's a spiritual thing. That's a sovereign thing. That's an awesome thing. And I would encourage you, like we talked about two weeks ago, to respond to the call of God. Pal knee to his lordship because there's no accidents, there's no hiccups, there's no surprises. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. It's not an accident that maybe you're a believer here this morning in the wealthiest na- nation that's ever walked planet earth. We need to use our time, our talents, and yes, our money to make sure the gospel of Christ goes to every tribe, tongue, and nation because that is what God is doing and we have an opportunity to join God in what God is doing. And if we choose not to do that, that's the whole point of Romans 11. If we choose not to join God in what God is doing, he can easily cut you off and graft someone else in who will join God in what he's doing. Does that make sense? I think that's what Paul's challenging us with here. We need to join God in what he's doing. By the way, one of the things that makes the theory of evolution so incredibly disturbing to me is that it leaves us with such little purpose leaves us with such little purpose. If you buy into the idea that you've evolved from gelatinous muck and you're returning to gelatinous muck, so what? What's your point? But if you buy into the Bible's teaching that the earth has a creator and this creator has a plan and you get to be a part of his plan for this little time that you have on earth for 60, 70, 80 years, you get to be a part of the purposes of God. How awesome is that, church? You've got a purpose and you've got a plan and God is using you for this spiritual endeavor until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And thus all Israel will be saved. You can be a part of that plan. And that plan is that God is creator and mankind rebelled against his creator but God sent his son to buy back sinful disobedience humanity and is using humanity those who are followers of him to spread the name and fame of Christ across the globe for the glory of God and that's my final point why is God doing it why is he doing all this stuff he's doing it for his glory period he's got no bigger thing that he can be involved involved in. See, we sometimes think the biggest thing God can be involved in is loving me. Now, God does love us. It's incredible. And his love for us is what he's doing to reveal one of the facets of his glory, which is his love. But what is God ultimately involved in? He's involved in spreading his name and fame because he can't do anything bigger than bring glory to himself. He's the end of all that's happening. And that might be hard to stomach for some of you, but for me, it gives me great security. I get to be a part of the eternal purposes of God. He says in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. You know why I love that? It's like Paul can't do anything at the end of this really heady stuff, this, some stuff we had a hard time getting our minds and hard time. He gets to the end of it. He says, listen, at the end of the day, it's about what God is doing by his power for his glory. It's like a prayer. And that's all I got to say about that. It's kind of Forrest Gumpish, right? That's all I have to say about that. Amen. All right? Did I just compare the Apostle Paul to Forrest Gump? Okay, so anyway, that's what I love about that verse, right? All things... Everything about your life comes from him and it exists by his power and can be used for his glory. 
your health, your wealth, your family, your talent, your business, your suffering, your difficulties, your challenges. He can use to bring him glory. In 2009, I'm going to finish with this story. We'll close with prayer this morning. In 2009, in Kansas high school, there was a state track championship. <clears throat> it was a 3,200-meter uh, 3, uh, relay. And the girls' team that won the relay was from a high school named St. Mary's. And when they finished the race and they came in first, as they crossed the finish line, the judge of the race came up to them and said they'd been disqualified because during the handoff of the baton, one of the runners had stepped one step out of their lane. And so that was, was a disqualification. <clears throat> and so the team that came in second, Maranatha Academy, moved into first place. And with this team of young ladies from Maranatha Academy received their first place medal, after that medal was placed on their neck, they turned, they took them off their neck, and they placed them on the neck of the team from St. Mary's. Afterwards, Maranatha's coach was interviewed and asked, why in the world would you take your first place ribbon and your first place medal and give it to a team that, while they'd beaten you, had come in second place or had been disqualified? And Maranatha's coach responded this way, she said, our theme for the year was to run, not for our glory, but for God's glory. And that coach felt like this was an opportunity to take that circumstance and give more glory to God. Church, let me tell you something. When you run for the glory of God, your life will reflect the character of God. And so instead of running for you and running for retirement and running for stuff and running for things that won't last, you're going to run for things like justice because we have a just God. And you're going to run for things that include grace and mercy and generosity and sacrifice and kindness and forgiveness and love. You're going to run for purposes and pleasures and goals that far outlive your lifetime. You're going to run for the things of eternity because you're going to be running for the glory of God. And Paul reminds us for everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a church of people. God, that we would stop being short-sighted. But we'd be a people that runs with eternity in mind. We'd be a people that runs for the glory of God. We'd be a people that says, you know what, if I'm going to run for the glory of God, my life's going to exhibit the characteristics of God. The characteristics of sacrifice and Generosity and justice and mercy and kindness and grace, goodness, holiness and righteousness. God, forgive us for the times where we take our eyes off these truths and we settle for the cheapness of this life, the cheapness of things that don't last, the cheapness of things that don't satisfy. And help us to be a people that set our eyes on bigger goals, 
the wisdom of God, by the power of God that is carrying out the great plan of God, the plan of redemption, where the, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then all Israel will be saved. God, we get to be a part of that mission and help us to do it for your glory. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you are a guest with us this morning, first of all, thank you so much for coming this morning. And I want you to know we are not after your money, so we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. This is one of the ways that Coastal, we worship God. Uh, during our off time, we're going to do something a little different. As Robert said, you're going to see a video of the Honduras trip. Uh, man, it's really well put together video by his daughter, Kelly. And... Uh, and I just want you to know that when you donate to Coastal, we make sure that a tenth of everything that comes in goes to serving some of our missions, okay, uh, outside the walls of this church. But not only do we want to give money, we want you to be a part of it. And I would encourage you this Friday night, 638, the missions team from Honduras is going to be here to share more stories. If you want to be, come and hear that, I invite you to do so. And I hope you'll enjoy this video. Watch this. Watch this.